And as you remember, we started studying the book of Daniel, chapter by chapter, some month ago now, but there's always something came up, sometimes a snowstorm or something delayed our uh, the continuation of this service, but today we reached chapter 5. That is about Belshazzar. And before I open the word of God, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads for a short prayer. Heavenly Father, this is such a beautiful day. After so many stormy days, icy roads and and snowstorms, freezing rain, finally we have a nice warmer day. We need to think about your goodness. And we also want to thank you, Lord, for directing our attention to the book of Daniel again. Chapter 5 is very important. We can learn a lot from this one chapter alone. And as we open your word, we ask you to open our hearts and minds and help us to focus on the good in the bad. So you can come and bless all of us. And we want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's turn to the book of Daniel. And then we are um, at chapter 5. You probably remember we studied uh, the last, uh, I mean the first, the first uh, four chapters so far. And we spent quite a bit of time studying chapter 4, because chapter 4 is a turning point, at least in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. He established a new world empire. There was in the 6th century, beginning of 6th century B.C. And as we studied these chapters, it looked that God was merciful to this king. He reigned for 43 long years. He was a powerful man. But the most beautiful teaching is that God was able to lead him step by step. And at the end of chapter 4, he made a confession. Uh, I just read verse 37. This is Daniel 4:37. He said, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, and he wrote this chapter, to be honest. Have you ever noticed that, that it's written in first person singular? A pagan king wrote a chapter of the, of the Bible. Have you ever thought about this? Uh, this, this is beautiful because if you, if you turn to the very beginning, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders and so on and so on. So he's talking about his own experience. And at the end of the chapter, he said, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. 
in Ellen White in Prophets of and Kings put a very short sentence about this king. And she said that Nebuchadnezzar at the end became a humble child of God. So if we are all get to heaven, we'll see this man up there. A humble child of God. But to me, it was a very interesting discovery that next to chapter 4, there is of course chapter 5, and the story is completely different. It took place about 20 years after Nebuchadnezzar's experience. But the end uh, come is, is completely different. And so I was wondering and thinking, why is it so that uh, Daniel is writing something good, then contrasting it with something very bad? And so I, I was thinking through the whole Bible, and I said, there are contrasts in the Bible, like Cain and Abel, from the very beginning, then Jacob and Esau, then David and Goliath, then Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Then if you look at the New Testament, the parables of Jesus, didn't he compare two opposites in some of his parables? Like the narrow and wide gate, the wise and foolish man, the wheat and the tares, the two sons, the, the wise and foolish virgins, or the faithful and evil servant. So the Bible is full of these type of stories when God is teaching us through comparing. And we need to see something that the book of Daniel is is not written in a chronological order. But even the composition of the book is structured in such a way that we need to compare extremes. And if you go to chapter 5, verse 30, 530, it says, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom being about 62 years old. He was an old man compared to that generation. But it's interesting that uh, chapter 6 is dealing, of course, with this king, King Darius. But if you turn the page to chapter 7, it goes back to the first year of Belshazzar, verse 1, king of Babylon. So in chapter 5, you read about the last year, the very last part of his his rule, rulership. And now in chapter 7, it goes back to the first year. And if you change to our chapter, or turn to chapter 8, it says, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. So it means that these chapters are put together in order to show us something, the good on one side and the bad on the other side. 
Now let's turn back to the story of Belshazzar. Well, what do we know about him? Well, not too much. Not too much because he was probably a grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. And then his father's name was Nabunidus. We know that he was reigning in the last ten years of his father together with him. And this is why he said that if there is somebody who can translate the writing on the wall, would be the third ruling in the empire. Because his king, his father, was the king. He was uh, co-reigning, was co-reigning with him. And there is also a person in chapter 5, the queen. We don't know her name. He was the queen mother, that could mean Belshazzar's mother or grandmother. If, if the lady was his mother, then he was, uh, he was the granddaughter or the daughter. He was the daughter of King Nebuchadnezzar. And what did this new king or the last king do? Let's read the first nine verses. How much time? We have not too much. Would you stone me if I go a little, a little over after 145? Because I just need 20 minutes about something like that. <laughs> try to, try to do my best. You know, Daniel 5, and I'm reading the first nine verses first. So Belshazzar the king made a great feast. For a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. Try to imagine this situation. He was so confident, although the Medes and the Persians were just a few hundred yards away, surrounding the city of Babylon. And he was so confident that this fortified city would withstand everything. And based on historians, we know that they accumulated about a one uh, supply of one year food in the city. And they had their springs in the city so they could, they could support themselves. And they had huge walls around the city. But there was one weak point. That was the river. They had the Euphrates River flowing through the city. So they built, they built walls above the river. And they never thought that the idea would come to somebody's mind that they can divert the water. And so they can walk in the bed of the river and occupy the city. So that's exactly what happened. And while the soldiers were digging and uh, diverting the, the waters, not just, just a few hundreds, uh, hundreds of yards from the palace, his palace, he decided to set and uh, enjoy a, a great feast 
Try to imagine 1,000 people in one big hall. And of course, in those days, that was not very rare that the kings would gather that many people in one place and enjoy good food and then drink and, of course, become finally drunk. And that's exactly what happened to this king. And verse 2, while he tested the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, who was his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Try to imagine, not only men gathered, it was not a man's party. They brought all the women, probably hundreds of them. And then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron, wood and stone. Think about that. This was something extraordinary in in the wake and in the doom. The doomsday, so to speak, was looming over them. But God was present. And God decided to send a message, and we all need to learn from this message. There was a crisis situation because the next empire was emerging, as I said, just a few hundreds of yards beyond the walls. Verse 5 says, In the same hour the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Try to imagine. No person. Nobody. But there is a hand moving, writing on the wall. And then the Bible says that then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tell me, its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. As I mentioned, he co-reigned with his father. So the only thing he could promise is that the person will be the third in charge. But if you read the rest of this passage... Let's say verses 8 and 9. I'm not reading because of the time, time constraint, constraint. But, um, it means that he brought all his magicians, his wise men, everybody, astrologers who could interpret the thing, but the same thing happened to him that happened some decades before. 
to his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And there was that nobody could really understand what the writing was. Nobody could even read it. And uh, that's where the second person appeared, the queen. So let's read from verse 10 to 12. Then the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Don't let your thoughts trouble you. No, let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the... It says, is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, meaning grandfather... The king made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpretation, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. That lady was probably the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. And she knew Daniel. And this is to me amazing that she said that the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of the Holy God, is in this man. But let's see what happened if you drop to verse 14. Then King uh, Belshazzar, his name means Baal, protect the king. Belteshazzar, Daniel's name means Baal, protect the king's life. Okay? So the king's name means Baal, protect the king. And then... uh, Daniel's name or Belteshazzar's name means protect the king's life. So he, the king, is talking. He said, I have heard of you, verse 14, that the spirit of, and he is not using the term holy, because he was not a holy man. He had no understanding of holiness. So he said, The God, or in some translations, gods. That's what he said. I have heard of you that the spirit of gods is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me. And they should that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but I could not give the interpretation of the thing. But then he goes on and and he's telling, and uh, he's trying to convince Daniel that he's the one. And of course, Daniel was not uh, really in a position that he had to be convinced that what kind of spirit is in him, but this man is just talking, talking, talking. And let's move to verse 17. Then Daniel, 
answered and said before the king, Let your gifts before yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. And before he does it, and this is why we need to learn this, this interesting story that Nebuchadnezzar, he is an old, he is a very old man in his eighties now. Because we are coming to the very end of the 70 years, the exile in Babylon. And he was about 17, 18 when it started, so he is in his upper 80s. He's an old man, but he was a very bold man, the man of God. And then before giving any explanation, he's, he's providing a moral lesson. And this is one of the reasons I, I am, reasons why I am uh, really very fascinated about the book of Daniel because it has moral content, not only prophecies. I'm not saying prophecies are not important, but we need to focus on the moral qualities that are described here. So he is saying something about the grandfather of Belshazzar. Verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father or grandfather, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. Whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts. His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of man and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Who is the real leader or guide of human history? Whose purpose is served by human history? That's God's, God's purpose. Because the whole human history is serving one purpose. Which is salvation history. So human history is not simply a series of achievements of wise people or strong leaders. The human, whole human history serves, serves one purpose to teach us to accept God because He has the overruling power over all human history. And so, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? I don't know how many decades he needed. He ruled for 43 years. God was patient with him. And finally, this man acknowledged that he is the God 
whom we should worship. And as I mentioned in chapter 4, verse 37, he said, I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. His works are truth. His ways, justice. And now his grandson, the very last king of the new Babylonian empire, is doing something which was blasphemy, using holy vessels to drink wine, and at the same time praising his own gods. He's just doing the opposite of his grandfather. And so Daniel is giving this moral lesson to the king. King, you should have done the same thing as he was done by, by your grandfather. And verse 22 says, But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, and they brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and concubines have drunk, drank wine from it, from them, and you have praised the gods, and so on and so on. And then he's explaining what happened. He said, then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and he, this writing was written, and this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene would mean God numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel would mean you have been weighted in the balances and found wanting. And then Paris means your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And it happened just in a few hours after all this story. I'd like to invite the parents to take care of the kids a little bit in the back because I think that's that's kind of uh, disturbing the service. Okay? Thank you so much. So Belshazzar gave a command that they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius, the maid, received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Divine judgment is a reality. And Apostle Paul in the New Testament is saying that we all need to appear in the, before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not very popular to talk about judgment. But part of our three angels' messages is, is the judgment hour. So we, we need to talk about judgment, and judgment sometimes happens like it did in the case of Belshazzar. Because in the in the very unexpected moment, 
when he was feasting, worshipping his own gods, the idols, consecrating or deconsecrating the, the holy vessels. This man reached the point when God said, what is enough is, is enough. There's no any more time for you. That's the end. Do you think about the end of the world? How it will come upon us unexpectedly? So what I did, I went to, uh, to a book written by Alan White. The Story of Prophets and Kings. And you know there is a chapter... The title is The Unseen Watcher. If you have the book, please read that chapter. The Unseen Watcher. That's all about Belshazzar. And I found something which is, I believe, essential if we want to be ready for the second coming of Jesus. Just three short quotations. Number one is... um, Ellen White is talking about history. And history is fascinating. When we understand it. (laughs) When we don't understand history, it's confusing. But she wrote the following. The history of nations speaks to us today. This history, the, the history of Belshazzar, speaks to us today. To every nation and to every individual God has assigned a place in his great plan. My question is, where is your place in God's plan? Did you find your place in God's plan? What is your place? Or where is your place? And she says, today men and nations are being tested by the plummet in the hand of him who makes no mistake. All are by their own choice deciding their destiny. And God is overruling all for the accomplishment of his purposes. So what do you think history is teaching you? Does the history of nations speak to you today? Second quotation. Today the signs of the times declare that we are standing on the threshold of great and solemn events. Everything in our world is in agitation. Before our eyes is fulfilling the Savior's prophecy of the events to precede his coming. And then there's a quotation from Matthew 24 and verses 6 and 7. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Do you think about what's going on in nature? In the economy? In in politics? World politics, 
And it says that the signs of the times declare that we are at the standing, or we are standing at the threshold of great and solemn events. Will they happen tomorrow? Next week? Next month? We don't know. Do you think Belshazzar was thinking of his imminent death when he was drunk and he praised his own gods saying that they have power over the Medes or the Persians and even over the Jews? Probably not. But it was a sudden movement by the watchers. And the Bible simply records that he was slain on the same night. And the third quotation. The present time is of overwhelming interest to all living. Rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. They are watching the relations that exist among the nations. Do you watch what's happening among the nations? They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element. And they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place. That the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. Enormous crisis. Do you recognize the same thing? And sometimes I wonder if if politicians do read the Bible or not. And of course, another question is, is there somebody who could be called like Daniel was? And he was considered to be the man of God, the one who had the spirit of the Holy God, who had all wisdom, who had connections with the divine, who was able to explain things what they could not really understand. So three things we need to remember. History is speaking today. Second, the signs of the times declare something. We are at the threshold of great and solemn events. Number three, there is a time of overwhelming interest. Because the world, world is on the verge of an enormous, stupendous crisis. Are you ready? Are you ready uh, for, for this type of, uh, um, I should say climate change, but I'm not talking about the nature. Not about, not about the weather. It's changing, you know, this is something unusual. I don't know if you have ever experienced this, 
that in January we had rain, we had thunder, we have lightning, I don't know how many times. It normally doesn't happen in January. And I'm curious what's going to happen in February. Maybe more rain? We might have snow? We, We don't know. But one thing is for sure that something unexpected is in the air. Are you ready? Do you learn from history? Do you understand the signs of the times that are fulfilled? And do you see that we are very close to the end of all things? When this king died, there was another empire moving in. When those kings died, there was a third empire. Those died, came the fourth huge empire, Rome. What is coming next? There will be no fifth world empire. (laughs) People tried very hard in the last uh, hundreds of hundred years or so. They could not succeed. So we need to learn our lesson. Because um, King Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson. Belshazzar did not. But let's, let's conclude with a sentence from Daniel 4.37. I already read it. I just want to repeat it. When King Nebuchadnezzar at the end said... I praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, all of whose works are truth, and His ways justice, and those who walk in pride. He is able to put down or to humble. So my prayer this morning is that our good Lord would lead us to a humble life. So we could greet him when he comes in the clouds of heaven. Amen.